Welcome back. This is part two of the Wollstonecraft episode, <laughs> episode <laughs> in which Melissa Taylor and I kind of take it off and uh, explore her life and her amazing ideas. Here we go. So in, you know, in the French Revolution, when that kind of started breaking out, a lot of the dissenters in the English were really, um, really excited. And the and and then we can kind of move into kind of the the Burke, um, conversation, but we had, we have like a lot of, um, people speaking about like, well, what's going on? How are they like, you know, when, um, I think it was when they, uh, the French published the declaration of the citizen and man or something like that, um, where it gave rights to, um, people. Um, (laughs) was it the French national convention? They like abolished the monarchy the same time that this like text came out i love right it. you say abolish the monarchy instead of just like beheaded yeah <laughs> yeah yeah abolish is a much the pg version yeah. <laughs> yeah um well it was uh i think it was before they beheaded okay. king louis but um there was there was a lot of events going on but yeah. um <laughs> but they um released a document that essentially said that everyone has rights every man um and the english were just like you know so there's a lot of discussion going on the english were like wait wait wait, wait we wait, just wait, colonized what? half the world yeah and he's gonna stay there seriously yeah. no seriously. this goes against everything we believe yeah. and it's funny because you have um like the scottish revolution happening in the 1740s mm-hmm. and then you have the american revolution happening in the 1770s and so we already have established um equal rights right um well and one thing just real quick that's funny mm-hmm. is the the tone in england about the french revolution was relatively positive yes in, in terms of like the rationale the rationale yeah. like reasoning yeah. group but when they when it happened in america they were like well now this this is just yeah. this is not okay this is like they're just like that's that's not how well, you what's do funny this. is it happened in america first right they they got rights and so that was like no that can't happen you know and then but then the french they're just kind of like oh i mean i wouldn't say everyone was excited about it obviously there's people like edmund burke and it would be the same person would have just like bearing i think it was burke actually that we were talking yeah he about was specifically in he class. was supportive of the american revolution yeah okay oh. no I, there must have been somebody else but like there was one specific person it's gonna bother me that i don't remember yeah who like when the american revolution happened we're very adamantly against it and then just like a few short late years later the french revolution happens and they're like oh well now see this is fine yeah. Kind of like a respectability politics kind of version of it too, yeah. where they're like, well, this is how you actually do a revolution. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cause we're not involved. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we're not the patriarchy of this country. Well, what's interesting yeah. is um is uh the word revolution changed its meaning yeah. in the 18th century. The revolution, mm. the glorious revolution of 1688, when King Charles um that was a reinstallment of monarchy of a, mm-hmm. of a system. Yeah. And, um, and Burke speaks about this as being like a, a very good thing. It was the um, return to the original institution. Um, like we're back home, you know, yeah. um, it's not creating anything new. And the American revolution he felt was 
okay, I can't remember why, but I remember him being supportive of the American Revolution because I think he was just he was just saying they just want him to create their own country. Yeah. Um, and uh, the French Revolution, he was not a fan of because it was giving. I can't fuck. I'm sorry. I'm terrible. No, you're good. I. I, well, re- I remember me, he was supportive of American, right? I, I do remember and I can't actually remember part of this why. conversation in our class. So let me kind of ramble for a second and maybe Thank it'll you. come to you. So like the root <laughs> of revolution, if you think about the word revolution, it means like the turning of a wheel. Yes. And that was like a big, like big symbol kind of, and I don't want to say just the 18th century. It's been a symbol for many years. It's kind of like an archetype, like a Jungian archetype. It's in the tarot. It's in like mm. basic art, religious art. Well, it means and to s- revolve. Well, yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, the, and, the, the wheel yeah. itself. And so, that's, mm-hmm. yeah, so, like, the wheel of fortune is basically what it is, and it's not, like, the game show. Like, the the mentality or the thought around it is that sometimes you're at the top of the wheel, and life's going pretty good. And sometimes you're at the bottom of the wheel, and life's pretty shit. And that's just the way, like, things go. Yeah. And so, originally, the term revolution didn't mean this kind of, like, rising up and you're defeating the tyranny and you're fighting side by side with your brothers like that image of uh liberty leading the people that like french painting that's what we think of now when we think revolution yeah but the reality is is that socially speaking like culturally socially historically speaking revolutions rebellions are constant because the pendulum, the political pendulum swings back and forth as time goes on. And that's not to belittle things. That is just like the nature of humans existing yes. within civilization. Eventually yeah. political, Preach. thank you. <laughs> Eventually <laughs> political heat builds up and we need to let it out. Yeah. yeah. And so these were viewed as like the revolutions, like the literal revolutions of the wheel. Yeah. Of the social wheel. Yes. Um, it was Arendt, Hannah Arendt, who said mm-hmm. that the French revolution was different, was a success full revolution in that the revolution, the meaning of the word revolution was successful in that something new, absolutely brand new happened in America. Nothing new happened because, because you excluded slaves. It was just not every man. Exactly. And I think that's why Burke was supportive of it. Um, but so Americans revolution wasn't, uh, really new um but what happened Maybe in i was the, thinking of Arendt. <laughs> i think you were because i remember this discussion and your rambling actually helped uh, me remember um <laughs> that discussion uh so but what happened in the french revolution was that based off of necessity you had a group of people who were starving mm-hmm. and um based off of bodily need or necessity changed the course of a country um stormed and became violent right and so the over the course of the french revolution many many events were dictated off of the happiness of the people which has never happened before Mm -hmm. and so what you have is the private which was the poverty the people who were um hidden in shame Mm -hmm are now at the forefront of the yes. decisions being made the in laborers, politics, the laboring class. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, uh, and that's never happened before. 
on this scale. Right. Yeah. And so that's um, why Arendt believed that it was a successful revolution in that way, because it was the first time that man's coming in a torrent to change, to uh, create change by force and by necessity changed the course of history. You know what I mean? Like uh, it was from necessity. It was from bodily need. Um, Well, and like on top of that, one thing that historical studies just within the last couple of decades has really started to acknowledge and turn more towards in looking at the historical record is realizing and recognizing how much of it is skewed because of privilege, because we don't have the voices, even though we know about the French Revolution, we don't have many of the actual voices of like the laboring and the working classes that drove that revolution. We have the philosophers speaking about it. We have like the positive and negative responses, but we don't have the families that starve to death because Mm -hmm. they overworked themselves. We don't have like the children that were orphaned because they never learned to read or write. Mm -hmm. And Um, so there's just like this very big part of the conversation. And this isn't exclusive to that. This is like a problem up until just about like the 20th century with history is that the record is very, very biased. Yes, um, absolutely. Yeah, and, and that's a we'll, big conversation. Who's dictating history? Who's writing yes. it? You know, one of, my favorite, conversation. one of my favorite things, and I think I said this to my father at one point because he was, this was like when I first started doing like English studies and he was really just wondering about it. But like, you get just like writers that we love now, like uh, Byron or Shelley or Keats even, where like they would write all day. Mm-hmm. And you're like, how did they have the time to write all day? And it's like, yeah. because they had people doing everything else for them because they had like a summer home and a winter home and they went and they like vacationed like for three or four months in Italy and in Mont Blanc and all of these places. But because they had servants, we just don't hear about the servants. We didn't learn about them until recently. Not that we learn about them specifically, but like there are these, this like nameless invisible labor force that made it possible for these things to exist so the quote that i'm trying to explain and that no not at all uh no i'm um but she says this multitude appearing for the first time in broad daylight was actually the multitude of the poor and the downtrodden whom every century before had hidden darkness and shame what from then on has been irrevocable And what the agents and spectators of revolution immediately recognized as such was that the public realm reserved as far as many could reach to those who were free, namely carefree of all the worries that are connected with life's necessity with bodily needs should offer its space and its light to this immense majority who are not free because they are driven by daily needs. And so it's this, um, it's actually, and this is where I'm kind of bringing back the Um, question about class is that the middle class is able to articulate and blur this this line I feel like and recognize and fight for the downtrodden these people Mm -hmm. that don't have a voice and recognize that the corruption of the top Um, and so I think it is it is interesting how the the middle class works in that way Um, uh, namely the the British middle class yeah Mm -hmm. yeah which is not like the middle class as we recognize it today. No. The middle class as we recognize it today is much closer to working class back then. Yeah. It's just like this, the, the difference between the middle class and the higher classes has become so vast yeah. 
that like the higher the, the the larger that gap gets, the worse off the middle class gets because they bear the weight of that that gap. And so again, jumping back to the original definition, the original intent of the word revolution is it's kind of like the turning of the wheel. History repeats itself, but it's not like it's not in a negative way, just in a fact of like humans repeat the same kind of cycles. Yes. And, and to um, add to that is a lot of a big portion of my dissertation was on the mental faculties of imagination mm. um, and how it works in the social realm. And so there was this movement going on um, like uh, with the, the aesthetics of novelty so you have um, uh, Joe, I forget, it starts with a J. Um, his last name is Addison. Um, but he, Joseph. Thank you. Um, I think it was early 18th, pretty early 18th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and he talked about um, how what we take in the social conditioning, again, but what we take in from like the social gets um, works into the mind and then the mind's imagination creates novel ideas that mm-hmm. then is put back into the social civic mm-hmm. world um, and actually creates change or something novel, something that's never happened before. And um, as we also see with the 18th century and in the Enlightenment, you have um, Darwin who is saying, you know, we're not the center of the universe, um, but also we are sorry, he's saying we are kind of the center of the universe and that we can create um, new uh, things and um, kind of taking God and the divine and, and realizing that the divine lives within us and in our imagination and in our ability to create. Um, And even John Milton in um, Paradise Lost kind of describes this with uh, Satan um, walking from chaos to creation. Wait, sorry, a question. So are you saying um, Darwin as in Erasmus Darwin, the poet? Yes. Okay, just wanted to sorry. clarify. Yes, thank you. Okay. Uh, I forget there's Charles as well. <laughs> we we're all from like <laughs> humanities departments. We don't really pay attention to Charles Darwin. No. <laughs> we try our best not to. Not our, not our scope of expertise. Also, uh, I'm sorry if you saw me like start chuckling. It's because Seymour, her cat, her demon son is like screaming in the hallway right now. <laughs> it's more like mewling pitifully, but yeah. And I'm trying my best me. not to cry or listen. He's just, he's fooling all of us. He is. Yeah. yeah. Um, I swear I'm not abusing him. He lives yeah, the best no. life. Yeah. Um, yeah. So this I, is, uh, go ahead. Well, well, just like also in response to that is like, there is, well, let's bring it back to Wollstonecraft a little bit. Yeah. So she incorporates a lot of religion because she mm-hmm. was she was raised within it. And so it was still very much a part of her heart, I guess, for lack of like a better word. Um, but she has one of like one of her digressions during this. She basically argues that, well, one in in the the vein of free will because that becomes a big thing is like free will versus fate and so she's definitely of like the free will pool but what she essentially says is the fact that we have free will both men and women means that we are both entitled to agency Mm -hmm. 
Um, and so I also kind of love your comparison with Milton because he's argued well, like what he's essentially like purporting in, in paradise lost is that the only reason Satan is as we see him is because he sought like individuality, mm-hmm. not that he sought like evil or that he was attempting to be God. He was just attempting to be I, which is like the big, mm-hmm. again, like the big question back then. Mm-hmm. So her, her assertion assertion is that, the ability to say I am to act on it and to make the choices that reinforce your own I am entitles you to rights as like a human. Exactly. Um, Contrary to what Burke believed, which was that if we want to get real nitty gritty, he believed that more morality was placed in our natural instincts, which which creates a bad uh, class system because he believed that the vulgar were just vulgar because they of who they were. Um, Morality is in the natural instinct. Reason happens after the passions have made a moral judgment. Whereas Wollstonecraft believed that passions were the fuel and instincts were the fuel to exercise reason and cultivate better understanding so that you can make better moral decisions. Yeah. And so um, the perfectibility, right, is like, is that. um, Well, it's very ignorant of like the capacity of people generally. Because that's that's one of the things, like the uh, the line that one of you had quoted earlier, I don't know if it was when we were just talking or like when we had finally started recording, but um, where she says something along the lines of like, if my fellow women may, I won't be talking down to you. I won't be belittling you. I won't be just like infantilizing you um, because I believe you capable mm-hmm. of better yeah. things. Whereas Burke's whole argument is basically, well, this is the way it is. This is the natural order because other men like me say it is. And <laughs> I can say this because I have privilege that I've refused to acknowledge. Well, what's interesting is he's, he's, uh, thank you. Yeah. So you have, you have right. The mother of feminism that he's the father of conservatism. Yeah. And believe it or not, this is what most people, this is what, Oh yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to speak for everyone, but this is how, um, thing, you know, obviously this was how everything was, um, governed, um, and people were governed. And so, um, he's just kind of digging his heels in and, his well, and that's why he got wrong published. side of history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, if he's just saying what everyone agrees with, of course, they're going to publish him because people want to read it. Yeah. It's like a count. It's the counter argument, you know? Yeah. One of the most enjoyable reads was uh, Mary's vindication of the rights of man. Yeah. When she just takes every little thing that he said in <laughs> reflections of the revolution and she just, just tears like line him, line. She's like, tears him apart. Wrong. Love yeah. that. And I remember like being in that class and messaging you. I'm like this sentence, like <laughs> she's just yeah. on it. Like I just, yes, I just love her prose. She is incredibly yeah. enjoyable to read. Well, it's yeah. like the 18th century <laughs> version of like coming in with the receipts like you've got the screenshots she yeah. had the screenshots and yeah. she like drew yeah. on there and she's like this one this is yeah. what I mean yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, so we don't like Burke. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it was, it was such an interesting discussion that was happening that needed to happen, which was yeah. do men have the right to have rights? Can we trust, you know, men, mm-hmm. individual men, even, mm-hmm. even the ones who are making bad decisions in um, the, the lower classes and the higher classes, you know, everyone. And Wollstonecraft um, explains it um, in her historical account of the revolution of how badly the people were acting. Mm-hmm. Right. And in such uh, desperate situations and kind of making her justifications for why that is. But, um, you know, can we trust the individual to make good decisions for himself? Right. That's that's yeah. a that is a that was a valid point, I think, at the time, because oh, yeah. it was never. Yeah, it was. Ne- we were never we had never experienced that before. And so when yeah, when does morality set in right in the mind? And then again, going back to Wollstonecraft's education and, mm-hmm. um, yes. and this yep. is why I think her, this is why I think she is saying something new is because, because of her stance on the education of w- women and, um, their mental, mental capacities and their ability to cultivate reason and, and things like that is directly reflected in man's ability. Yeah. All men. To um, to be able to once given the right, then has the ability to um, to cultivate reason and become an have agency over their lives mm-hmm. and have and be able to exercise in the social sphere, right? The the imagination and creating like yeah new ideas. Um, and so yeah, there's just like a lot of really cool cool conversation that I that well, I love. And like, there was one, one thing that you said, I can't remember what it was specifically just 30 seconds ago. I'm doing great. Um, (laughs) but that like, if we give the people, oh, this was in relation to like the question of morality and like Mm -hmm. having rights. If we give the people the resources to not have to Mm -hmm. steal, to not have to sleep on the street, to not have to go months or I guess at this point, like years, I guess, without a bath, then what you have is a, a society, a population that is more capable of making what is deemed like moral decisions because there is yeah. so much like right and wrong. Like go, let's, let's, uh, let's just really briefly think about like, Lame is what is the the core of lame is is that he stole a loaf of bread mm-hmm. and now he is paying for it for the rest of his yes. life. Yeah. yeah, and he stole the loaf of bread. We know from the single line where he says it was for my daughter, for my sister, and her dying son, her starving son. Yeah, mm-hmm. and so what they've done is created a system where now he has to pay forever because of that, even though he is within the story this arguably very very devout and divine man, and society just doesn't recognize it. Go ahead, Taylin. I have two yeah. points before I yeah. forget them because my brain is not a sponge. It is like a dry <laughs> towel. Um, <It's> a <laughs> <laughs> um, in, in response to you. Yeah, absolutely. I think what's so brilliant though about like her doing this is that it is 100% within the like 
the male 18th century logic of the enlightenment. Not only a, is she like using logic. So by the logic of, you know, if we feed these people, then they will, you know, behave, they will behave more like, you know, moral citizens. They will be able to engage in society and be like useful and, you know, have meaningful lives. Like literally like using logic to like sort out these situations I think is like, that is the language of the 18th century, like, yeah. you know, male philosophes, right? Um, and then secondly, like this kind of utopian vision of universalism where, you know, we can have a better society. This is her ultimate goal. And this yeah. is also the ultimate goal of the 18th century philosophers. So I think it's like just really powerful that she's using these kind of like techniques to like, you know, propound something that is, you know, very new because I think like, not only is it working within like a tradition that other people are going to have to respect and understand um, because it is within their own tradition. Right. Um, but it's also like forced the kind of like what Melissa said, it's like yeah. forcing you to have to see a sub probably a side of society that they want to ignore, which is women. Yeah. And they often just write women off or disregard them in these conversations. So I love that she's like co-opting their own kind yes, of techniques. Yes. And mm -hmm. forcing them, but still, for, but like forcing them to allow women into the conversation. I think it's great. Sorry. Especially because, no, no, it's a really good <laughs> Thank point you. because yeah. like she uses these techniques that they've deemed to be like official or that they've deemed mm -hmm. to be like the most logical or the, the, the most well thought out, the most empirical. Yeah. And she's using it against them. She's like, you can yes. use these same tricks and you can come to other conclusions. Yes. Yes. You can That's come what to I love more, about her. Like equitable conclusions yes mm -hmm. yeah so baller yes <laughs> yeah so cool hero <laughs> um mm -hmm. i had this thing when we were in class the one day that we talked about burke and i loved because the professor he was like he didn't say anything against it he was like interesting why do you think that but um i don't think burke had any actual friends i remember why. you saying that yes because that's how i started the class <laughs> <laughs> we're like uh uh teacher <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah yep. um so in his reflections on the revolution in france he starts with his like which is normal during this period to have like the like the epistolary beginning to the to the mm -hmm. treatise um he says i certainly have the honor to belong to more clubs than one <sighs> and i'm just like do you really need to say that like clubs isn't like, I mean, like it's what we think of today where it's like you get together, you talk about certain things, but he's just like, yeah, I belong to so many clubs, you guys. I'm in like <laughs> so many clubs. I'm in like that one. And also this other one. I'm like, we I, get it, Burke. I can't, I, you, you kind of imagine him definitely during this time and getting published. Cause he's, you know, he's in parliament, I think like he's definitely yeah. like doing stuff yeah. and he's like from, he's Irish. Like he's not you know, he, he's definitely trying to prove himself. And I think oh, yeah. by making these, um, making these, uh, you know, stances, he's definitely, um, positioning himself, um, he drinks the Kool-Aid. <laughs> <laughs> well, he's, he's trying so, to be yeah. like, like, look how English I can be. Yeah. 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 I mean, um, yeah. If, and I yes, think, exactly. yeah, it's worth noting, like, like, so at the time it like being Irish was not, at all like how it would be conceived of today is like a kind of massive conglomerate yeah. of like you know british kind of peoples like it was strictly 
divided nations Mm -hmm. and like peoples. And so being Irish in London still was kind of this, like considered as this lower station. Yeah. So it's just worth noting that, like that's probably where his kind of need to prove himself mm -hmm. is coming from. We think very heavily, because I think uh, Bethany, you brought up like the revolution in Scotland. We think very heavily because we got like Queen Mary versus uh queen elizabeth kind of like that conflict mm-hmm. the scottish english conflict but ireland was kind of off to the side very much engaging in that same uh that same issue of being low-key like colonized by their neighbors yeah. yeah they they definitely got the short end of the stick and yes they did. yeah and so what happens is that you would get irishmen who would come in and they're very obviously irish because they're also like I think they they kind of navigated this different this like similar but different space to the Scottish because their accent is different. So like it's very you you can't confuse Irish and Scottish, but they're also from this different island. So the, of they're course, like, also the religion. Like if you're yes. Catholic oh, Irish, yeah. then it's you know. Yeah. I mean, Church they basically England, blamed yeah. they basically blamed the Great Fire of 1666 on like Catholics, even though yeah. like it was known that it was just you know Baker who left her oven on or something. Yeah. Um, so like, you know, like there were Protestant Irish people as well and different, you know, religions and sects, but it was still kind of like a very, especially like mostly just because of the religion, but also because of these other reasons, like yeah, that yeah. could also play a factor. Not to just totally get into this like random discussion. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. nice long tangent. Um, yes. But but yeah, no, that's, that's exactly like Burke is just very aggressively trying to prove that look. I can dance like dance monkey and he's doing <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. And that's not to like undersell his white male privilege, but is no. existing this no. very different way. I think that yeah. was like, how something actually, I can't remember what, what we're talking about, but like, so we're looking at both of them as these subjugated groups. So she is a woman, mm-hmm. but she's English mm-hmm. and she's from a, a little bit of a higher class, not necessarily high class, but like, the higher end of middle class because she's mm-hmm. got the education and then he is like definitely a well-off white man but he's irish so they both got like a kind of a butt to them mm-hmm. however she like they're they're coming at it from their very different stances mm-hmm. yeah. because there is this like this sense when you've got groups like this um not i shouldn't say it like that but like there's the notion that because he's a man he still benefits from patriarchy. And so because she's a woman, but she's white, she still benefits from white supremacy. And that's true. And so like people consciously and unconsciously are also very aware of the way that they navigate like this, the structures of our oppression because the 18th century was very much establishing the way that we have it mm-hmm. structured now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so What's funny is that you would think that because he's Irish, he would come from a more subvertive stance like she does. And like the other way around where because she's English, maybe she would come from a more like traditionalist view, Mm -hmm. but she doesn't. Yeah, I, I think, and of course this is all, you know. This is all speculation. Speculation, yes. Yeah, I'm like, this thing. isn't yeah, actually absolutely. what was happening, but it is um, you know, Burke had goals. He had a power he had a hunger for some kind of power position. Yeah. Wollstonecraft didn't. Yeah. She was coming 
she was already coming from a de- uh, deficit in that in that regard. She wasn't she you know she wasn't looking to gain any power or notoriety other than actually like fighting her cause. And I mm-hmm. think there's there's something to that. You know, Burke wasn't you know gung ho like wanting the world to be <laughs> yeah. a monarchy. That's not like yeah. really what he's, you yeah. know, he's just saying that to, you know, rub the right people. Yep. Rub the right elbows. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. That's not like, that's not to say that she, like she should have been, or maybe she was secretly, but rather that like the fact that she wasn't almost attests just as much as the fact that she like wrote this to, to how ready she was for, for things to change. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe kind of, uh, directing us back to like Wollstonecraft's and like her works. Mm-hmm. Um, what else have you guys read by her? And like, maybe we can kind of talk about her. Um, well, I've read letters. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, one of my favorite scenes in letters, I guess we can just kind of do that now. Yeah. <laughs> it's a, just like a, it's a, a long it's an amazing book. And if there is a yes. book you want to read that isn't, you know, other than vindication of the rights of women, I would, yeah. I would suggest letters because it is beautifully written. Yes. Um, so the full title mm-hmm. is letters, letters written during, during a short residence, a short in residence. Norway, Denmark, Sweden and Denmark. Yeah. Sweden and Denmark. You just let Bethany take that one away. Yeah. I was like, it said <laughs> I've, I've written it enough stuff. times. I've typed it. Oh, it's right here. Oh, nice. Yeah. I think we have the same copy. <laughs> it doesn't, it actually class. doesn't have the full title, but I know um, that's, that's why I was like, I looked at it and I was like, that doesn't, that doesn't look right. a true 18th century. Yeah. Letters written during a short residence in Sweden, Norway and Denmark. So that one was after she had her first child. Um, and so I like the way that she kind of navigates that a little bit differently as a mother at that point. Yeah. Um, but one of my favorite scenes, especially coming back to this notion of her kind of seeing like a right and a wrong way to engage with society as a woman mm-hmm. is that she is at an inn at one point. I think she's just like having dinner or something. She's having a meal. And she's commenting about this young woman who's walking around. Mm-hmm. And she's like reminiscing on this later. And she's talking about how like, she kind of had a, a negative opinion of her at first. She thinks that she's not dressing up her class and she's not doing mm-hmm. this or that correctly. She's being a little bit too personable, a little bit too, uh, too popular with the, the people that work there. And so the woman eventually comes up to her, is taking her order or something. They're, they have a small exchange. And she finds out the woman is actually like the wife of the innkeeper. Like she is like ostensibly like the woman of the house, the house that they're all staying at. And so she's like, Mary has this realization that she completely judged this woman wrong. Mm -hmm. And that like her own prejudices are still something that she's constantly working through. Mm -hmm. And going back to, again, like, I guess my digression on like the co-opting of the the term woke and stay woke Mm -hmm. versus a constant Mm -hmm. like, praxis of of progressive um like learning learning yeah. about other people is to acknowledge that occasionally you're wrong yeah and you will continue to occasionally be wrong especially when it's like identities and 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 spaces that you don't typically inhabit mm-hmm. yeah i i you notice in her later works um, it becomes less of a statement about what she believes and more of a 
demonstration or yeah. um, mm-hmm. her actually going through the motions of mm-hmm. what she believes everyone should have the opportunity to do, which is what you were just explaining. And um, she does this in her account of the revolution, but I feel like letters is very much the climax of this. It is the apex of what she be- she believes all women should be capable and be able to do, which is to is to take what is around you mm-hmm. and feel something. Yeah. And then reflect on it. Yes. And learn and act in the way in the society to, that um, reconciles that. Um, one of her quotes is, um, you know, we feel forcibly, we feel, we reason deeply when we feel forcibly. That's and that's, tattoo. yeah, that's my tattoo. Um, <laughs> because, because you can't have, you can't reason without feeling mm-hmm. and you can't, you know, and I, and yeah. I like that because it, uh, the feeling precedes the reason. Yeah. And that is very feminine. And informs masculine. the reason. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think part of the reason that letters hits home so much like more aggressively than her reflections on the revolution is because it's an account of her like very daily interactions. Yes. It's one thing to talk about it with the revolution, which is a very politically charged, very mm-hmm. active time, but that's not all the time. And so it's like, how do you engage with that kind of theory with that? lifestyle choice yeah. that you've that you've in in embraced mm-hmm. in just normal daily things yeah um and go ahead well just to kind of round that out as well is like that becomes a big issue nowadays where people very aggressively become like internet activists yeah. where they like they're posting the black square mm-hmm. and they're they're like hashtag me too but then a couple of weeks later it's all dead yeah. and it's because we haven't learned how to engage with it Mm-hmm. in our everyday life in a real you way you have to yep. constantly be, be back and forth like yeah. with this kind of rhetoric mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and with Absolutely. like this lifestyle and like the the practicing of that lifestyle mm-hmm. so yeah I feel like in her um her literary career um you know her her um feminist treaties her arguments with Burke her historical view of the revolution was very much the most um masculine space that Mm -hmm. she tried to Mm -hmm. take because history was a very masculine um space and what she did and which what my dissertation was about was that she conflated the public and the private um through um not only through her theories about the events of the revolution and what was actually happening. And we talked, we touched on that, but actually through the way that she wrote it. So she would like, she would combine, you know, very objective events that were happening, you know, Mm -hmm. non-biased, very like masculine kind of form. And then she would reflect on it and how it mattered to her in her daily life. Um, And so that was kind of like the, the bulk work of like her um, kind of, putting people through a loop about yeah like she got a lot of criticism over it like they were like what's going on you know um John Adams read her historical um account of uh 
the revolution and made a note in there that I found. And I thought it was so funny because he was just like, she just kind of just goes on these flights of like figurative speech and it's a little too flowery or something like that. And it's just funny because, yeah, but he read the whole thing and he, yeah, he must have enjoyed. Some he read it. the whole thing and had notes. And like, he even just said, he even said like, oh, that's a good point. Like, you know, it wasn't all bad, mm-hmm. um, but uh, letters is very much probably the most feminine you know, uh, form style that she has written. Um, and I, I love it because it's also paired with her, with, um, her melancholy and depression yes. and her, her being a mother. Yeah. Um, I do think a lot of that, like femininity that we read in it comes back to her being a mother because like in, in vindication of the rights of women, um, she's engaging with this as just like a figure as like a philosopher as a voice Mm -hmm. but then seeing her practice it and especially practice it as this kind of traditional trope of womanhood Mm -hmm. as like the mother the mother Mm -hmm. figure brings like a whole new level to this philosophy that she's trying to to push i also love that she she comes to scandinavia with like a wet nurse or whatever yeah. But she's doing business. Oh yeah. We don't you know. She's like, <laughs> she's not at home. Like, you know, she's living this like very like free life that a lot of like women who have a child can't. Yes. And it's, mm-hmm. so it's, it's, it's a bit of that too. Yeah. We don't hear enough about it in there, which is fair because it was supposed to be like secret business. Yeah. Um, but she's almost underselling herself too, by just making this seem like this kind of leisurely vacation. Yeah. But of course, that was the popular type of, yeah. you know, um, like, letters at the time. Yeah, letters at the time. So that's what people wanted to read. It's I like think travel books. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. I think one thing that's like really interesting to me is like, I feel like kind of what, and like, if I can like summarize what both of you guys are saying, it seems to me like there is on the one hand, this kind of larger engagement with, um, this kind of goal that she has to emancipate women from this like constrictive social construct. Um, but then also on the flip side, it's like through these like tiny, mo- these moments where we're able to see her, the minutiae of her everyday life, where she's able to kind of practice this praxis that you talk about. It's like, not only does she want to women to have rights, but she also wants women to like be able to have the tools to yeah. utilize those rights. I think. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly, exactly. Because people very well could have just started educating women left and right, and then still been like, "Well, get married now and do nothing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and and women were getting educated. Yeah. And and you know, and the, in the nineteenth century, that. in the nineteenth yeah. century as well. A good a good book on that is Middlemarch, where yeah. um, the main character is is educated, and she's very interested in like travel and like learning more and talking about philosophical ideas and so she marries this man who is very philosophical but then she doesn't he just doesn't want her to do anything with it and it's oh my god same same with like um thomas hardy's jude the obscure um there's this like it's the new woman character which is like this kind of second wave feminism i guess you can call it second wave um but it's like you know, she's this, you know, woman that wears trousers and wants, you know, reads books and rides bicycles and stuff. Um, but you know, she can't, she is just so conflicted by like 
worrying about having to marry him. He wants to marry her, but she doesn't know if like she does, but will sacrifice her freedom. Yeah. And I'm, I remember when I took this Victorian literature class, everyone like hated her. And I thought, no, this woman mm. is, is thinking she's thinking yeah. about her choices and she cares about herself and her freedom. And I, and I hated that everyone thought she was so wishy-washy. I was yeah. like, no, she's really struggling with something. Like people just didn't understand that. Like th this was a big, you know, it was a big, it would have been a big sacrifice for her. And so it's like definitely like a trope, a literary trope. Mm -hmm. We have a very, very skim understanding of just how many rights women would give up in yeah. marriage. And not just like from the like Victorian, mm. Georgian, all of those periods, but like from 40 years ago. Yeah. Like mm -hmm. it was uh, until just about like the mid 20th century, it was still very much like signing a woman away to mm -hmm. her, her new owners unfortunately. We didn't have the right to our own credit cards. We didn't have the right to ownership of like property, whether it's houses or cars. And that's like, if she could even drive, mm -hmm. I don't I think it was my grandma couldn't even drive until she was like an adult. Yeah. And it wasn't because she didn't want to, it was oh, because yeah. it just wasn't offered. It wasn't available. It was unheard of. Yeah. Yeah. So we like, we have a very low conception of what marriage meant. Well, it's very romanticized now. Yeah. Well, and, and then the people and then the women that we do that are notable have these kind of extenuating circumstances that have yeah. brought them to that point. And so Absolutely. we kind of look at them and think, oh, well, you know, they can write, they can publish. And it's like, okay, but that was yeah. one. <laughs> that was one, one girl. Yeah. That was allowed yeah. because she knew someone, or you know, there there's a lot of luck involved, I think, mm -hmm. as well. That a lot of the privilege that we just like get, gets lost in the historical record mm -hmm. that we have to kind of like go back and read through the lines for. Well, and also just the basic fact, as you guys have already kind of mentioned the fact, you know, we're, we're reading about this. Um, mm -hmm. and that's because this person was able to publish and mm -hmm. write about it and yeah. share their story. Like, you know, there are like, as Melissa said, countless stories that we will never know Yeah, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. they weren't able to have that opportunity. Yes. Yeah. I think on that note yeah yeah i feel no, like i, I, I feel like we covered around covered a, a lot of ground so that's the 18th century you guys yeah we love <laughs> it's it it's just mary wollstonecraft <laughs> yep. nobody else fact, yeah we made work up he doesn't exist yeah <laughs> neither do his clubs yeah yeah no those definitely don't exist <laughs> um okay so bethany actually hold on hold on Thank you very much, Taylin, for joining us again. Yes. To talk about many books this time, not just a single one. It was really fun. It was my pleasure. Thank you. Yes. Thank you for taking time out of your PhD to yes. be on our little podcast. I will tell you, this is more um, than I've ever had the opportunity to talk in class. So it's actually a pleasure. I, oh. you know, most of the time it's the professor talking and I'm just yeah. sitting there biting my tongue so really because Melissa very and I talked a lot yeah, <laughs> like, a problem. We, like we would ask each other after class like are we are we mm -hmm. the problem are we should we be shutting up <laughs> we never did but... no we were the loudest ones yeah well I appreciate the space and opportunity yes <laughs> yes no I'm glad and that's kind of the point right like that's yeah, what we want to yeah. do yeah mm -hmm. well cool well until next time yeah where can you find us Oh, wait, did we already do that? We did, but we can do it again. 
You can find us on Instagram at in bed with books pod. We're also on YouTube. If you want to watch video versions and also hear us talk about film. Um, but yeah, we do have a website. Thank you. In bed with books, pod.com. Um, we have a blog. We talk about things on there. So yeah. Until next time. Happy reading. Happy reading. Bye. Bye. Bye.